I'd like to invite all the children who are here to come and join me for a moment. And if you're home worshiping online, just move a little closer to your screen because this moment is for you. Come on up. Good to see you this morning. Got a friend with you. Welcome, welcome. Look at all these beautiful faces. You can come on up here, kind of make a circle maybe, because I want to be able to see everybody. There you go. Thank you. Wow, this is wonderful. We may be breaking a record this morning for the first time in a while. Okay, well, I'm excited because I'm sort of pretending here, but I'm imagining this is a cup of hot chocolate. Do you like hot chocolate? I love hot chocolate, especially when it's cold outside. And I have this perfect little cup of hot chocolate that I'm, there's not any in here, I'm just pretending. But let's pretend that it's hot chocolate. Look at this. I've got hot chocolate, too. Wait a minute. You like my, you like my mug? It says good vibes only. Yeah. Wait a minute. My, my mug doesn't say anything. Mine's a little bit bigger than yours, too, Mine's but that's okay. I'd... Well, gosh. Good. Now I don't like my hot chocolate so much because Pastor Brandon has a bigger cup, and his cup has words on it that look fun and flashy, and my cup doesn't look so good anymore. You know, I do that sometimes. I have something I'm perfectly happy with, I'm excited about, and then I look over and I compare what I have to someone else and then suddenly, maybe I don't look what I have anymore. Do you ever compare sometimes? I think sometimes we compare ourselves. Maybe we have a friend who really does drawing really well and maybe we look over and we see their drawings and we think, oh, my drawings aren't quite as good as that. Or maybe it's the other way around. We look over and we see their drawings and think, I'm a lot better than that person at drawing. But you know what? We're not really meant to compare ourselves to each other. When, yeah. Well, I think God looks at each one of us and loves us completely and doesn't compare us one with the other. Each one of you, each one of us, has special gifts and special things that we can do. There is absolutely only one you, and God loves you completely. And there's only one me, and there's only one Pastor Brandon. So I think our job is to just receive God's love for us and be the best me I can be, and to enjoy my cup of hot chocolate no matter what. Mm. Let's pray. Dear God, you love us all so much completely. And we thank you. And that reminds us that we don't need to look around and compare ourselves to other people. We just need the, to be the best me we can be. Help us to do that and help us to look at others with love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much for listening. Are you three? Okay, if you are three, four, or five, you can go with Pastor Brandon and Pastor Maggie to Children's Chapel. Three, four, and five. Five and three quarters. That still counts as five.
Somewhere along the way, I stopped saying I was something and a half <laughs> or three quarters. Oh, so sweet, so wonderful to see all those children here this morning and to talk with them about love. That's what we are talking about during these weeks of January and February. If you've been worshiping with us for the past couple of weeks, or if you haven't, let me catch you up a little bit. We've been working our way slowly through 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. The Apostle Paul's description of love and what God's love, agape, looks like when lived out in the life of a Christian. And so we've considered what it means that love is patient, that love is kind. We've been talking about what does love look like in the world? What does love do? How does love act? And this morning we move along and we find the Apostle Paul describing what love does not do and how love does not act in the world. He says love is not envious or boastful or arrogant. He also says, or rude, but that's part of verse 5, and I'm going to set that aside until next week. And just look at envious, boastful, and arrogant. And when I think about these three words, I realize that all of them involve comparing, comparing ourselves to others. If I'm envious, I'm looking at what my neighbor has and wishing I had it, or I'm looking at talents they have and wishing I had it, or looking at the life they live and wishing I had that life. There's something in that, that feeling of envy that, that makes me feel like I'm less than somehow, less than my neighbor. The other two, being boastful and arrogant, suggest that I'm looking at my neighbor and feeling like I'm better than they are. I'm better off, or I'm in better circumstances, or I'm more talented, I'm more gifted, I have more than they do. And so either way, it's, it's looking to the left and to the right and comparing ourselves with others. And what I hear the Apostle Paul saying is that love doesn't do that. Love does not compare. That's pretty convicting because there's a lot of comparing that goes on in my own mind, in my own life. The contemplative teachers call it the comparing mind. That habit we have of, of comparing ourselves, of trying to figure out how we fit in the world by comparing ourselves to others around us. Just one small example from my own life, and I'm confessing this to you. So. David and I have been living in our house since 1999. I actually bought the house as a single woman in 1998, which just shows you how the real estate market has gone crazy in Nashville because couldn't do that now. But as soon as I bought the house, David asked me to marry him. So he's like, hey, you throw a house into the deal. I'll... Just kidding, sweetie. Um, <laughs> he's no dummy. Um, so we've been in this house, and it was a two-bedroom, one-bathroom, sweet little ranch house. And when our kids were born, we added on another bedroom and bathroom and, and have expanded it a little bit. And it's, it's been our home for over 20 years. And there are all sorts of memories in those walls, happy memories and sad memories of, of our life together and our kids who are now taller than I am. And, and all the things that, that we've experienced in that house together. And I love our house. But a couple months ago, 
we got invited to go to a friend's house and visit with some friends of David's who were in town. And they had a really nice house. They had just redone their kitchen, and this great island and all brand new shiny appliances. And then they led us to the back porch where it was all screened in and they had one of those swings that you can like take a nap in because it's so big. And I came home and I was like, oh, her paint's chipping everywhere. We have 1948 plumbing in this bathroom and it doesn't work half the time. And I love our house. And yet when I compared it, to the home of this friend, I felt less than, and I felt that envy. And I've been on the other side of it too. I remember going to pick up Tate from a play date years ago and walking into the house to pick him up and his friend's house was just a mess. I mean, they just had kids everywhere and stuff everywhere and I thought, oh, I feel pretty good about myself. At least my house isn't that messy. But I figure out, you know, where I fit by comparing myself. I don't know about you, but I think that's a very human tendency to compare ourselves, to compare what we have to what other people have, to compare our success with other people's success. We even compare our suffering to others. I can't tell you how many times I've been sitting with someone in my office and, and hearing their story and hearing the pain or grief that they're walking through only to hear them say, well, I know what I'm going through is nothing compared to what so many go through. And I know that at, the, at its root, that is, that is a compassionate impulse to, to remember that there are others who are suffering in different ways, but suffering is suffering and pain is pain. And, and we can't compare what we're going through with what other people are going through. Perhaps if we allowed our suffering and our pain to, to connect us with the suffering and pain of others, that would be where love would lead us. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So Paul seems to be saying, love does not compare. I'd like to put it this way. It is hard to love someone when we're comparing ourselves to them. Let me say that again. It is hard to love someone with agape love, with God's kind of love, if we're comparing ourselves to them. If we're looking on them with envy, it's hard to rejoice when they rejoice. If we're looking upon them with arrogance and boastfulness, it's hard to weep when they weep. It's hard to love genuinely when we are busy comparing ourselves. So to dig into this a little bit more deeply, we just heard the parable that Jesus told of two men who go into the temple to pray. There is a Pharisee and a tax collector. They didn't arrive together. You have the Pharisee who is standing apart and the tax collector who is standing far off. The Pharisee is looking around the temple and feeling pretty good about himself. And he says this prayer that I'd be interested to know if you, what you think about this prayer. It begins beautifully, I thank you, God. It's a wonderful way to begin our prayers with gratitude. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. And there goes the comparing. Is he talking to God? Is he asking anything of God? 
it seems to me he's trying to prove himself to, to God and to himself. He's trying to make the case that he's better in God's eyes, or should be, than so many others, than thieves and rogues and adulterers, and oh, look at that. <laughs> Certainly better than that guy, that tax collector who colludes with the Romans, takes advantage of his own people. I tithe, I do all these things, God. Ah, I'm so great. The tax collector, on the other hand, can't even look up. He's not looking around. He's only talking to God and simply saying, have mercy on me, O God. He recognizes that he is nothing without God, that he needs God if he's going to be righteous, if he's going to be made right. I have to wonder, what would it look like if if this interaction were shaped by love, by agape love, how might God's love change the prayer of that Pharisee? Perhaps instead of looking with judgment and scorn and boastfulness and arrogance at the tax collector, he might look across the, the temple and see a brother. Like Pastor Nancy talked about last week, and with kindness at its root, having that word kin. Maybe he would recognize this other human being with whom he is intricately connected. Maybe he might recognize that they are equals in the sight of God, that God looks upon each of them with delight and unconditional love. Maybe he would see that they're both made in the image of God. And maybe then he would cross that chasm between them and put his arm around this tax collector and say, Brother, let me pray with you. I'm with you in this. Let's both go to God and ask for mercy. I wonder what it would look like. Many commentators say that this parable is a trap because it's easy for us to read it and think, boy, I'm glad I'm not like that Pharisee. <laughs> which is exactly what the Pharisee says, I'm so glad I'm not like. But it invites us to see that spirit of the Pharisee that's within all of us. That tendency to, within myself to say, boy, I'm glad I'm, glad I'm not like those judgmental people. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not like those morally questionable people. But love invites us in this parable to look at all people as kin, to see each and every person as made in the image of God, in need of God's mercy, one that is completely loved by God, no more and no less than I am. If I can receive that love for myself to know that I'm no better and no worse than anybody else, that God loves me just as much as God loves everyone else and vice versa. Perhaps then I can be set free from comparing and simply rejoice that all of us are loved unconditionally by a merciful and forgiving God who calls us to a life of agape that draws us not away from each other, but toward each other. Thanks be to God.